0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. But whatever anyone dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I am talking like a madman. I am a better one. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless floggings and often near death, Five times I have received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak? Who is made to stumble? And I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, blessed be he forever, knows that I do not lie. In Damascus, the governor under King Atreus guarded the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this deeply emotional letter, with Paul's integrity being called into question, Paul's authority as an apostle is being called into question. And Paul goes back and forth between exhorting, correcting, and giving guidance to the Corinthian church, and then into these, what we might see as emotionally charged, defenses of his own credibility. Um, He would only say this if people were saying the opposite about him. We know from this letter what they were saying about him, that he wasn't a real apostle, that he wasn't someone that had been selected by God for this kind of church-planting mission in Asia and Europe. Uh, He knows all this. He knows he is an apostle born out of due time. He was not there um, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, he wasn't even really there uh, when Jesus was crucified or risen from the dead. He comes into the story after those events with the stoning of Stephen. And so all of these credentials that he holds up, his wounds, his sufferings, his deprivations, his fear, his anxiety, um, is all his defense of these accusations against him. And he, he sums up all of his sufferings, the greatest suffering at the end of the list, after he says, shipwrecks five times, he's gotten 40 lashes minus one, um, Forty lashes were considered a lethal amount of blows from a stick or a whip, but 39 is the one less than the lethal amount. He's been beaten by rods, stoned stoned uh, with rocks, shipwrecked, all these things that have happened to him, but the greatest one that he feels is the anxiety of all the churches, The anxiety of all the churches. Um, Our bishop, Bishop Doyle, said to a number of us who were getting ready for our uh, being in charge of a church, there's a course called The First Time in Charge that we all do um, when we go through the diocesan path towards leadership. Um, It's called First Time in Charge. And he spoke to those of us who were doing that. I think I finished it up in 2017 or something. It was long before I'd been in charge of anything. Maybe long before that, maybe 2016. Anyway, he said, you know, you never know what it's like to be the one until you're the one. And, you know, the kind of things that you get to think about and Plan and feel when you're the one is different. And he wasn't trying to say that he's the only person in the diocese doing anything or I alone bear the burdens of this whole diocese or anything like that. Um, He wasn't saying that, um, you know, he was doing everything or something. What he was saying though is that the burden of responsibility is with him, and that is how our diocese is structured. Um, all 160 plus churches and missions and institutions and seminaries and schools and all the other things. Um, it's kind of his fault when things don't go so well. And also his to his credit when things do. Um, and whether all those things are his fault or his credit, it doesn't matter. Um, there's always those of us who may feel that we um, we don't like his decision or wished he'd done something different. And that's what happens when you're the one. When you're in leadership, um, you'll be challenged on those kinds of things. And that's what he was saying to us, that that burden of responsibility is really weird when you finally get it and feel it. Um, and that's what Paul is talking about. Of all the things that he's been through, it is the anxiety of all the churches they're, this word and idea is more the burden of all the churches. He doesn't mean that they're a burden, that they, um, he doesn't want them in his life or something. This is what he has chosen to do with his life. But he cares about them. Um, he cares about all the things that are happening in Galatia and Corinth and Ephesus and Rome and all the churches that he's planted all over the world. Um, he thinks about them all the time um he's he's feeling he's always wondering did i do enough should i do more is there something else i'm missing um and and it is that weakness that he boasts in that is the weakness of leadership is when you realize that the only good thing you're really doing is all the things that paul lists um suffering with the people That we serve. That is the ultimate leadership, qualification, and responsibility. And so he says this final thing that happened to him. It's kind of the weirdest thing that's ever happened to Paul. Shipwrecks, beatings, stonings, imprisonments, being all these other things that he mentions, being at sea, drifting at sea. For a day and a half, I don't know if you can imagine the horror of that in a shark-infested sea um, at night and a day on a piece of wood, knowing that you can't survive forever. Um, Horrific stuff, cold, naked, without food, hungry and thirsty. Wow. Um, But then this last thing that he says that happened to him in Damascus um, when they ordered him to be seized by the king. And uh, he was let down in a basket through a window in the wall. Paul being put inside a basket that was then lowered through a window down the city walls to the ground where he made his nighttime escape. Uh, this is reminiscent of the spies that spy out the, the uh, land of Canaan under Moses, Joshua and Caleb and the other spies who escape. Rahab, the sex worker, the Rahab the harlot, as she's often called, um, has her gives them shelter and then helps them escape through a window in the city wall of Jericho. And they climb down that scarlet thread. To escape, and Paul here in a basket going down the wall. It is significant that it is Damascus that this happened in. He was on his way to Damascus in the book of Acts when he saw a blinding light. He was going to Damascus because he had heard there were Christians there who were starting churches, and he wanted to stop them from starting their churches. He was going to arrest them. He had full authority from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem to arrest these uh, Christians as they were just getting started in the movement, and Paul was doing his best to stamp out Christianity. He did it out of righteous zeal. He did it because he thought it was the right thing to do. Um, a lot of lessons about that in his in his uh, life and teaching. But it is in Damascus that he returns. And this time, he's not there to persecute Christians. He has no authority from the government he is on his own and he gets an order to be arrested by the king to be seized arrested same idea that's what it means to be arrested to be seized to be grabbed and they they send this order down to do it and he escapes it is sort of a reverse power move but it is his weakness that he continually boasts of He has gotten to that point in his spiritual journey where he knows that the only good thing that comes from him is his own weakness. And ultimately, that is true for us, too. It is in the places of our greatest weakness that God's power is shown. It is not through our skills and talents and innate abilities or whatever it is that we do our best work. It is in those places where we have the greatest frailty and fragility and weakness that the power of God can fill and fill in the gaps, and we can do some good things in the power of the Holy Spirit from our weakness, from the suffering that we have experienced in this life. When we think about the kind of people that we go to in times of trouble, um, they are often people who have suffered a lot had some setbacks and challenges because they know what we're going through. Maybe even if they don't have all the answers for us that we might need. um, We know that they've been through something like this before. And Paul knows that too. There in the basket, as he escapes, that is his greatest triumph. Amen. Amen the church remembers Basil of Caesarea, Basil of Caesarea. He was born around 329. 329 is significant in that it is shortly after the legalization of Christianity um, in the Roman Empire under the reign of Constantine. He was born in Caesarea of Cappadocia. Part of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, into a Christian family of wealth and distinction. He was educated in classical Hellenism, so a Greek school, and Basil may, might have continued an academic life had it not been for the death of a beloved younger brother and the faith of his sister, Macrina. We've talked about Macrina a lot here. He was baptized at the age of 28 and ordained as a deacon soon after. Um, It was the practice for people to be baptized fairly late in life sometimes, depending on what occupations they were going into. Sometimes they would delay a person's baptism until after they retired from that profession that may have dealt with um, government service or military service. Not sure why he waited till 28, but... um, he did. Macrina, his sister, had founded a monastic community at the family home on in Nisei. Inspired by her example, Basil made a journey to study the life of Anchorites in Egypt and elsewhere. In 358, he returned to Cappadocia and founded the first monastery for men in Abora. Assisted by Gregory of Nazianzus, He compiled the longer and shorter rules which transformed the solitary anchorites into a disciplined community of prayer and work these rules became the foundations for all orthodox christian monastic discipline even to this day if you go to an orthodox monastery which of which there are many there are some here in texas i've been to the one down in new Braunfels. beautiful Um, you can see this rule at play or at work Basil was ordained as a priest in 364 so um, how many years between his diaconal ordination if he was born in 329 that puts him at about 3, 350 2864 so over a decade after, after he was a deacon he became a priest Um, And this happened during the conflict between the Arians, um, which at the time, there was an Arian emperor and the Nicene Christians. Arians did not believe in the Trinity. They believed that Jesus was not fully part of the Godhead, that he was a created being, um, a human, or maybe some kind of human angel, but certainly not God in the way that Trinitarians understand Jesus to be God. Um, so this, at this time, there was an emperor who was very favorable to the Arian cause. Arius was a bishop who wrote a lot of hymns that were non-Trinitarian hymns. And music. his music was so popular that they put a ban on congregational singing for quite some time um, because they didn't want people singing Arius' hymns. Basil was elected Bishop of Caesarea and Metropolitan Bishop of Cappadocia in the Exarch of Pontus. He was relentless in his efforts to restore the faith and discipline of the clergy and in defense of the Nicene faith. When the Emperor Valens sought to undercut Basil's power by dividing the see of Cappadocia, Basil forced his younger brother Gregory to become Bishop of Nyssa, Gregory of Nyssa. So this family had a huge influence on early Christianity and medieval Christianity um, in a way that is just really amazing. Between Macrina, between him and Gregory of Nyssa, um, there really was a powerful um, union. They also had a brother named Naukratidas who would hunt uh, wild game and feed the poor with it. Um, there's a group called the Order of Nocretitus today, based in Indiana, led by Christian Baron, that um, goes hunting and fishing, and then takes uh, prepares the foo- that food and serves it to the poor and needy at food banks and other places where people are able to get that food from wild game um, in honor of Nocretitus, one of their other brothers. Basil was argue, also argued forcefully for the full divinity of the Holy Spirit. In his treatise on the Holy Spirit, Basil maintained that both the language of Scripture and the language of the church require that the same honor, glory, and worship to be paid to the Spirit as to the Father and the Son. It was entirely proper, he asserted, to adore God in liturgical prayer, not only with the traditional words, "Glory be to the Father." through the Son, and in the unity of the Holy Spirit, but also with the formula, glory be to the Father, with the Son, together with the Holy Spirit. We often uh, talk a lot about how people um, slowly realized and began to practice the worship of Jesus as God, um, but we often don't know the story of the Holy Spirit becoming part of the way the church talked about the Trinity. And this was happening in the time of Basil. And that Gloria Patri that we do after every Psalm and a couple other times during the service, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, um, is part of that Trinitarian formula. The reason we do it at the end of Psalms is we want to make it very clear that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are present in this Psalm book. And we want to make it clear that that's happening. And we, that's why we end with the glory of Patri. Glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, and this, was, this uh, language about the Holy Spirit in the Creed, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. And when we say the Creed, I always do a little bow there, worshipped and glorified, because I want to, in my own body, remind myself that I need to worship the Holy Spirit. And listen to the Holy Spirit Um, and that member of the Trinity should not be one that I uh, that I ignore Basil was also concerned about the poor and when he died he willed to Caesarea a complete new town built on his estate with housing a hospital and staff a church for the poor and a hospice for travelers he died at the age of 50 in 379, just two years before the Second Ecumenical Council, which affirmed the Nicene faith. So this was all part of that time period where the kind of Christianity that we practice today was, was established in many ways. Lots of stuff happened between then and now in church history, but um, Basil was part of that uh, tradition of solidifying what became known as Trinitarian or Orthodox theology theology and we are thankful for his work and his generosity. Almighty God, who has revealed to your church your eternal being of glorious majesty and perfect love as one God and trinity of persons, give us grace that, like your Bishop Basil of Caesarea, we may continue steadfastly in the confession of this faith and remain constant in our worship of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, ever one God, forever and ever. Amen.